Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Over recent weeks, we've been looking at different aspects of what it means to be a people of God. And we've looked at how being God's people should transform our lives. Turning us into a people of power. How to truly be the people that we are called to be. How we need to be mindful of the presence of God. And then more recently, we've seen how being a people of God means that we should be reflecting His grace into the world. Now you know, since I preached on that last week, I've noticed Morwenna has been particularly struck by that message. Um, She's been particularly gracious. And despite the story I told last week, she's shown me a great deal of grace And so I've woken each morning to find that my hair is still intact. God is good. Over the next few weeks we're going to carry on with this series. Looking at subjects like what it means to be a people of promise. What it means to be a royal priesthood. A people of a covenant. A people of sacrifice. A people with a calling. A people of prayer, of praise and of prophecy. And as I put the preaching themes and the rota together, what I found, however, was that there were two subjects that I couldn't separate. Because they seemed to me to be so interdependent that although you could talk about them separately... They were intertwined. And so to preach on one without touching on the other in that context would mean that there was a gap left in the picture. What are they? It's about being a people of hope and a people of destiny. But what is hope? It's one of those words we use quite regularly. But The true meaning of it can sometimes elude us. Is it the same as faith? I don't think it is because Hebrews 11 makes that clear. Because it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. So if faith is the assurance of things hoped for, without hope we can't have faith. I looked up the dictionary definition. It says that hope is the feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best. It's to look forward to with desire and reasonable confidence. Hope is the opposite of despair. So faith is when we have an assurance of hope. When we have a certainty and a confidence in it. And so the test of our faith, of course, is the extent to which we're prepared to put it into action. So we need to be a people of faith. 
But to do that, we need to be a people of hope. But to be a people of hope, we need to understand what it is that we're looking towards. What is it that we're hoping for? We know that Peter tells us, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. What is this hope that we should have in us that we need to give an answer for? Because hope isn't just something that exists. It needs to be focused on something, whether it's an event or an outcome. Otherwise, what you're really talking about is optimism. If we look at the wider passage that surrounds that quote from 1 Peter, we start to see the answer. This is from 1 Peter 3. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks for a reason that the hope is in you. So in the case of Peter's writing, the hope he was referring to was that when we go through difficult times, when we suffer for what is right and good, we will receive blessings in return. And so when people see us retaining our hope in those times, when they ask us, how can you look forward with such confidence, we can tell them. Perhaps we can remember what Paul encouraged the early Roman church. He said, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. And then he continued, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And to those he called, he also justified. And to those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his only son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things who shall bring any charge against God's elect it is God who justifies who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress persecution or famine nakedness or danger or sword and then skipping just a few verses no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am sure 
that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Do you see now how our hope is tied up so much in our destiny? Because unless we really understand our destiny, whether individually or corporately, how can we be a people of hope that we are called to be? How can we give an adequate answer for the hope that is in us? Paul wrote, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. In Psalm 139, we read, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In Psalm 71, it says, For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust. O Lord, from my youth, upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. You know, David knew that the hand of God had been on his life from the very point of conception. God knew him. He had plans for him. And let's be clear on this. When we talk about destiny and God's plans, we must not become fatalistic in our thinking. We have freedom of choice about how we walk in those plans. God has laid out a plan. He's given us everything we need to fulfill his purposes. But we have a responsibility about how we fulfill them. It's a bit like a seed. The seed has been produced at great cost to the mother plant. A lot of energy has been put into its production might even be, for some plants, sacrificially. But then the seed is harvested, and it's put in a bag. It's stored. Now that seed, stored in the bag as it is, has only one true purpose. I mean, it could get used as cattle food, but that isn't the true purpose of the seed. The true purpose is to be planted. And once planted, the seed not only has purpose, it now has a destiny. It needs soil, it needs water, and it needs light. But then it can grow, and in its own time, produce more seed. Being in the soil allows its roots to grow, and allows the plant to withstand the forces of nature. Being in the light allows the plant to make and to store food. Being near water allows the plant to be strong and to grow large, healthy fruit. It's a bit like we need to be. We need to be rooted in the word, walking in the light and drinking from the well. And if we do that, what it says is we will grow in the image of Jesus. And we too will produce healthy fruit. The passage
passage goes on. But it's in order that he, it's Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. When we give our lives to God, we are adopted spiritually into his family. This is what Paul wrote to the Romans. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption of sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That is part of our inheritance. We are heirs with Christ. We are like his brothers. And whatever he inherits, we inherit too. That is part of our destiny. And it carries on. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. That is the glorious future that God has prepared for us. We have been called. It's no accident. There is a purpose to it. We have been individually chosen and called by name. And then we have been justified in Christ. And one day we will be glorified with him. Now do you know what? If you find that too much to grasp when you think about yourself, just do something for me. Take a quick look at the person sat next to you. Because do you know what? It is just as unbelievable for them as it is for you. Is that right? That they are being transformed into the image of Christ because they have a calling on their life, because they have been justified, and because one day they will be glorified. That is the wonderful truth. God chose them by name. He called them by name. He's prepared a future for them to walk in. He has already paid the price so that they can have open access to him as a son. And if that isn't hard enough to believe, what about this? Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Are you with me so far? So Paul is writing this so that the church might understand the hope that there is in their calling. And then it carries on. Sorry. 
<coughs> that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who lives in all. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. Skipping a few verses. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus this is our destiny how can we not become excited about it That God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. And then if that was not enough, Paul continues, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, with him, graciously give us all things? Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn Sorry, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? And who is at the right hand of God and indeed interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness or danger or sword? No. In these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present or to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are safe. No one can bring any charges or condemnation against us in God's eyes. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Not even death itself. We are safe. 
We are secure in God's love and nothing can change that. And you know, we are still only scratching the surface of our destiny. There is so much more. And yet it's almost too much to comprehend already. The writer to the Hebrews says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You know, there is just more and more and more. There's things we haven't touched on this morning. What does it mean to be reigning with him? To be seated in the heavenly places? But our destiny is clear. We will be made more and more like Jesus until we become like him. We will then be heirs with him. We have a future that has been prepared for us. We have a calling on our lives. We've been justified and we will be glorified. We will live with God for all of eternity. Safe and secure in his love. That is what our hope is. That is what our faith must be based on. You know, when I started to think what people of destiny are like, I came up with a number of words. And in good evangelical style, they all begin with the same letter. Isn't that wonderful? I love it when that happens. We need to be people of destiny who are deliberate. The letter's D, okay? Being a people with a destiny requires a focused effort. We need to take a sniper's view on life, not go out with a shotgun. We don't blast our way through life wondering if we might just happen to hit something. We look at our destiny and we pursue it. Jesus was like that. In Luke 2:49, he said, I must be about my father's business. In John 4, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish that work. He was focused on why he had come to earth. And then we need to be dedicated. We need to be given over to the task at hand and not giving in to distractions. You know, the most dedicated people are devoted to the cause. Philippians 2.5 says, he, it's talking about Jesus, became obedient unto death even death on the cross. Even Paul was like it. In Philippians 3.12, he says, this one thing I do. Then we need to be diligent. Doesn't mean we have to rush, but we shouldn't procrastinate. We should be prepared to work at it. 
It might be long, it might be hard, but we need to just keep at it steadily. You know, Jesus said, I must work the work of him who sent me while it is day. He knew there was an urgency. We need to be disciplined. No distractions, no hindrances. The writer to the Hebrews told them, keep your eyes on Jesus. He kept his eyes on his goals. And we need to be decisive. We need to be committed to making decisions and acting on them. You know, when Jesus faced the cross and was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, not my will but yours. Being decisive doesn't mean you won't have doubts. But it means that determination will triumph over doubt. You know, when we get a clearer view of our destiny, our hope becomes focused, our faith will rise. And we won't just need to give an answer for it. It will be readily apparent. Folks, we are a people of hope. And we have a destiny in Christ Jesus. Let's make sure that we keep with those Ds. That we're deliberate. That we're dedicated. That we're diligent. That we're disciplined. And that we're decisive. Because then we will start to see the kingdom come. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.